Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the number one business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. I'm speaking to you today from the tropical paradise of Cairns. I'm up here for a, to speak at a conference for Compass Pools, one of the world's best pool builders. They are fantastic. I gave the keynote um, at their conference yesterday for the fourth time in 10 years and uh, they are a great group of people. What's the biggest problem with pools? You've got to clean the fucking things. That is a pain in the neck. Um, The last pool I had, I filled in because of the issues with, with cleaning it. What I love about Compass Pools, they have a totally self-cleaning pool. You don't have to do anything. It's fantastic. I mean, it really is a fantastic pool. And uh, we had a great presentation yesterday, really enjoyed it. And uh, another significant occurrence at this conference is that the founder and pool guru, Ian Mewitt, He's kind of the Elon Musk of pools. He's been a pioneer for donkey's years, and he's retiring. Good friend of mine, but he's retiring after guiding a hugely successful business for ever and a day. So there's a changing of the guard, and a young guy, Anthony Cross, has taken over. He's a very cool young guy, very smart, and I'm really enthusiastic that the uh, company's in great hands. So for everybody at Compass, thanks for the last 10 years and for lots of presentations. Thank you also for the great response to my presentation yesterday. Congratulations, Ian, on retiring. And congratulations, Anthony, on taking over. So I hope that everybody at Compass enjoys the rest of the program. That's the conference program, not this program. I hope they enjoy this program as well. But if you're listening for the first time, this is the radio program where we we tell it exactly the way it is. We do everything we can to assist entrepreneurs by bringing you the latest information every week and what is happening in business throughout the world. Now, one of the common issues raised on this program and also in our consulting business is how difficult it is to raise funds. Now, If you have a really good product and it ticks all of the boxes, the key is to never give up. Keep knocking on doors. You know, Pandora. Now, you see Pandora shops all over the world. Pandora's founder was rejected over 300 times before somebody gave him money. So you've just got to keep at it. And one of the great things about my job where I meet a lot of successful entrepreneurs, is you get exposed to the challenges that most entrepreneurs face. You know, the reality is that the overwhelming majority of entrepreneurs who start businesses fail. We all know that, you know, launching a startup means undertaking a long and difficult process and try to estimate your chances of success are impossible and probably a task that most entrepreneurs don't even want to contemplate. So why do many startups fail? While the overall economy can be a factor, startups frequently make a number of very common mistakes. So what I want to do now is to give you some valuable lessons that you can learn from various failed startups. Firstly, you must validate your product idea with customers. These must be real customers, people who've got the potential of buying your product, not friends who will always say to you, wow, that's great. I love it. If that was on the market, I'd buy it because friends lie. I've seen a large number of startups that look fantastic on paper, but in reality, nobody wanted their stuff. And many entrepreneurs waste hundreds of thousands of dollars building something that nobody wants. Many entrepreneurs are convinced by investors that the product is 
good enough to move forward without checking for warning signs from the very people that you want to buy it. And you need to remember that your potential customer matters a hell of a lot more than your investors, although you may not think that at the time. Secondly, an entrepreneur needs to appreciate the importance of co-founders, partners, and team members. And I think all entrepreneurs realize that, at least after a short time in business, that you can't do everything. There's usually a whole stack of tasks that are beyond the founder's capabilities, and they're usually in the all-so-critical management area. So for any startup to be successful, you know, you need to surround yourself by the, the best people you can. Often a startup will begin, and everything will be fantastic for the first six or 12 months. The product can be launched. You've got a lot of customers. Then problems arise. People involved start to disagree over the direction of the company and whether they should raise investment funds. How, how much of the business you want to give away for those funds. And men, many entrepreneurs are extremely loath to give away any part of their company. Or they think the company's worth a hell of a lot more than it actually is. I speak to entrepreneurs all the time that say their company's worth a million dollars or two million dollars. It hasn't got any sales, therefore it's worth zero. And the reality is that almost all startup companies are worth pretty much zero. And it doesn't matter how much work you've done on them. The third thing you need to learn from successful entrepreneurs is to be aggressive. Now, almost everybody says, I don't like aggressive people. But if you want your business to succeed, you have to be extremely aggressive. You have to get off your ass and contact everyone you can. Most people hate cold calling. I must admit, I hate cold calling. But that's precisely what you have to do. Without a major aggressive push, most new businesses will fail. The fourth thing that entrepreneurs can learn from successful businesses is that fundraising is difficult and extremely time-consuming. The reality is that irrespective of what new business does, money still is needed to make it happen. Startups can't operate or grow without revenue. And uh, building a startup just seems to accumulate expenses, usually a hell of a lot more than you anticipate. And many entrepreneurs just simply run out of money or leave raising money far too late. By the time they've realised they need more money and go out to try and raise it, they've already gone. So, And you can expect to pitch at least 100 potential investors before receiving any investment. I've worked with a great many entrepreneurs who have approached more than 50 investors and not received one dime. Think about how long it takes to locate a potential investor, phone them, brief them, qualify them, send them out materials or go and visit them, follow them up, answer all their questions, send them more stuff, follow up again and so on. This can take an enormous amount of time. And then how many of these people can you pitch in a week? Probably only a few. To get to 100, there's 33 weeks gone. Another issue with entrepreneurs is that far too often they take their eyes off the financials. Most entrepreneurs do their sum and determine that they have, there's 10,000 people who are going to pay them $10 a month for their product. That may be true, but it might take you two years to get to that first 10,000 customers. And usually once you do reach that critical mass, it grows very quickly, but you have to get there first. The sixth thing that entrepreneurs need to do is to sustain a long-term vision. Most entrepreneurs realise that they need a long-term goal if they want their startup to succeed. Metro, for example, was one of the first location-based social networks. They did a great job of building an internal customer base in Chicago and then began to tackle other regions. So instead of continuing to focus on Chicago and really building their business, they fragmented. And while the service continued and had a core bunch of people using it, the energy and the focus dissipated. So to succeed, entrepreneurs must keep a long-term goal, establish one community fully and sustain it before initiating a presence in another 
location. The seventh important lesson for entrepreneurs is not to raise too much money. That seems pretty odd. Um, but raising too much money might factor into the failure of a startup. You need to be able to justify raising the money that you are after. You know, the danger with entrepreneurs who raise lots of money on a new product that's not fully tested is that they can fall into the trap of thinking they've got something people are interested in. So instead of validating their assumptions, they just get bigger and bigger and less successful. They chew up the money they've got without realising that they won't be able to recoup it. The eighth way for um, entrepreneurs to be successful is to build a totally unique product. Now, it's hard to build a unique product. There's a hell of a lot of stuff out there. So make sure you're not copying or modifying somebody else's idea. Build your product and not somebody else's. The most successful products execute on a vision that aligns with their products and their users' goals. The ninth tip sounds like an obvious one. Remember to continue to build the business. Now, a startup can be built around the greatest idea and product in the world. But if the company doesn't grow, the business is going to fail. Too many entrepreneurs spend too much time on the product and not enough time on growth and distribution. Now, when you're looking for funds, most entrepreneurs are just grateful to find someone who'll invest. But ideally, you need to find the right investors. When you find the right investors, it's great to work with people who share the same goals and the same philosophy and can also provide support as well as advice on how the company can become better and do marketing and manage well. But what happens if the investors don't click with the entrepreneur or don't understand the business? They'll very rapidly become a pain in the ass. They'll demoralize everybody and they will drive you nuts. In the news this week, the hugely pop- popular messaging apps are becoming immersive mobile platforms in their own right. Messaging apps like WhatsApp and WeChat are huge and getting bigger very rapidly. Now, like the social networks before them, these apps are becoming the hub for everything global smartphone audiences do on mobile. Messaging apps help people connect with one another. You can share photos. You can video chat. You can increasingly engage in activities that earn significant revenue for the apps, including things like um, playing games, buying goods, and even shopping offline. User sessions for messaging and social apps increased 203% just last year. That's about twice as fast as the increase for all types of apps, which only grew 113% for the year. These growth rates are extraordinary, aren't they? WhatsApp now has over 500 million unique users monthly. And Line recently passed 400 million registered users and some 229 million monthly active users. That's the whole population of America (laughs) every month using the app. Messaging apps play a key role in cutting through the noise of the crowded world of mobile content. It is so crowded out there. They're, They're gateways to content, to games, to communicationly communication and increasingly to offline activities. Also in the news this week, Amazon's launched Netflix for books. It's called Kindle Unlimited and it's offering ebook and audiobook subscriptions for $9.99 a month with unlimited access to over 600,000 titles and thousands of ebooks. So you just play a flat fee, read as many books as you want. I think that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea. Also in the news this week, it's obvious that the Internet of Things is going to be an enormous market. We've talked about this a couple of times. It'll um, dwarf all other consumer electronic categories with 1.9 billion once inert everyday and enterprise devices already connected. 
1.9 billion. This is everything from parking meters to home thermostats. And within three or four years, that number will top 9 billion. So 9 billion more things connected to the internet. And uh, that's roughly equal to the number of smartphones, smart TVs, tablets, wearable uh, computers, PCs and everything combined. So 9 billion new things that hackers can hack into. Something weird about talking to a fridge or having the worse still having the fridge talk to you. But um, the Internet of Things market's going to drive trillions in economic value. It'll be quite normal soon to have your refrigerator that talks to you and a garage door that you open with your smartphone and probably a refrigerator that talks to your garage door. It's kind of weird. So finally in the news today, in the quest to kill cash, new apps are finally getting people to abandon the ATM. Credit and debit cards have already gone a long way to getting people away from using cash and checks, but the one type of payment that still requires a trip to the ATM is peer-to-peer payments. You know, they're the informal transactions made between people, say, um, to pay somebody back for a concert ticket or pay a babysitter for a few hours' work or something like that. But apps like Venmo, Square Cash and M-Pesa are allowing people to transfer money back and forth using just a smartphone. Already, Venmo, which is owned by PayPal, of course, one of the leading mobile peer-to-peer apps, saw $314 million in transactions last quarter. And currently, the volume of peer-to-peer payments is over $1 trillion, and only a fraction of those are currently conducted by mobile phones. So that's all going to change, particularly in emerging markets. I don't know whether you looked at emerging markets recently, but their growth in smartphone use, the growth in just the general economy at six to eight to nine percent um, is amazing, and these people are using phones more and more, and they don't have access to um, checking and savings accounts. So, apps like Venmo are going to be enormous, and also they're free to use, and that works for me. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. From Cairns, from the Compass Pools Conference, which is a fantastic event. And uh, the show's brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. We're here to help entrepreneurs become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Don't forget, go onto my website, bobpritchard.com and enroll for my newsletter. The last one went out um, over the last couple of weeks, the one for July. Um, Been very well received. I think we sent out about, I don't know, 10, 15,000 of them. We had three unsubscribes, three. That's not bad. After the break, I am going to be talking to my guest, Jay Parker. Now, Jay's the Vice President for Live Events at Dactronics. He is a very cool guy, and he's got the world's best job, seriously. Um, He works with um, sports arenas, concert arenas, and uh, he's a great guy. But what a cool job. I'm sure you'll enjoy the interview. So you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and I will be back with Jay Parker in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. 
Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And welcome also to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs, people who are interesting and have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all become a little bit more successful. Now, we try to, when we talk to people, we try to find out what makes them tick so that we can learn from the things that made them successful and also learn how they overcame the challenges they face. Every small business faces challenges and pretty much the same challenges. It's um, it's pretty hard to be successful entrepreneur. Um so the more we listen to successful people, the more we surround ourselves with mentors, the less chance we've got of making those same mistakes that others have made before us. Now, Jay Parker is Vice President for Live Events, the sales organization at Dactronics. He's a great, he's, he's just got the best gig, this guy. He directs um, Dactronics sales organization in the United States and Canada for customers in, listen to this, professional sports, colleges and universities, city-owned stadiums and arenas, and rental and staging markets. What a good gig that is. And uh, it's a good story. Jay originally joined Dectronics as a purchasing intern in 1987. And by 1997, it was in the major league sports market. And then in 2007, there's a pattern happening here, 87, 97, 2007. He became the national sales manager for the large sports venues sales organization. In 2011, he took over responsibility for the mobile and modular sales divisions. So effectively, what this guy does, and he's a pretty good guy. I've only spoken to him for a couple of minutes, but he's a good guy. But what he does, he spends his whole life going to great sports events and concerts. I mean, how good's that? Hi, Jay. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing today, Bob? Mate, I'm, I'm doing great. Okay. How'd you get such a great gig? Well, you know, I tell you what, I, I, I always consider myself, I'm a very lucky person and uh, I'm probably in my dream job. But, you know, I, uh, I, I grew up in the state of South Dakota and Dactronics headquarters is in South Dakota. And like most college graduates, you're not quite sure what you're going to do. And I had an opportunity to work at Dactronics and stay close to sports. And I guess uh, that passion of mine for sports has kind of kept me in the uh, kept me in the industry, kept me at Dactronics, and has allowed me to see a lot of great sporting events, go to a lot of great sporting events, and uh, help teams come off with a very successful event, allowing them to, to entertain their fans as best as they possibly can. And our technology helps complement their entire their entire show and their game day game day situations. Is there any work involved in your job? <laughs> you know, people ask me that all the time. They, they ask, you know, you're going to a sporting event and they ask you, is that actually work? And, and it actually is because, because sales is a lot, about, a lot about relationship building. It's a lot about meeting people, getting to know them, understanding their needs, 
Um, so that part of it's work, but uh, the sporting events, uh, that's more pleasure than anything else. And, and, and your customers really want you to, to understand what their business is all about, what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And when they're in sports, you know, part of their day-to-day business is having sporting events, which, which is a pretty good benefit as well going along with the job. Yeah, I um, I was a part owner of a football team in Australia before I went to America, and I worked with the Raiders, and uh, I worked with Formula One and um, the Vander Holyfield and a bunch of other sports um, events and personalities, and uh, it's a good gig. I mean, there's work, in, <laughs> work involved, but it's it's not like being a bank teller where you say, good morning, Mrs. Smith, how are you? How would you like it today? Tens or twenties? You know, you'd kill yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that would be a little tough for me to handle. That's true. Okay. Tell me a little bit about Dactronics. What what do they do? Well, Dactronics is, uh, we're, we're just over 45 years old. We are, uh, we build electronic displays and, and today it's mostly video display technology that we build and video display technology for large facilities, small and large facilities. So we, we try and, you know, that's basically what we do and that's, Really, all we do is is video and scoring equipment for these types of facilities, right. and so it's a relatively small niche, um, but it's a niche that uh, that that right now a lot of people are wanting our technologies within their buildings, um, and it's it's been very good for us to be able to do that. Right. Um, what about what about you? Um, you. Um You've had a, a great history with Dactronics, but you always, always weren't always with Dactronics. Were you? You had a couple of stints away. Um, what else did you do? I actually, uh, I had, I, I started at Dactronics once I graduated from college, and then I left, and I actually spent eight years in college athletics. Um, so I was with, uh, I worked at a place called South Dakota State University within their athletic program and uh, did a little bit of everything. I was in charge of the the finances, the facility management, you know, the game day operations. And then uh, fortunately, South Dakota State is in Brookings, South Dakota, which is home to Dactronics. And that's when I came back to work for Dactronics on the sales side in major league sports. So it's, uh, my whole career has all been around sports and sporting activities, sporting events. And, uh, and I'm a sports sports person at heart so it's it's been a fantastic career that's great so what when you're climbing the ranks in a company like Dectronics and you've started at the bottom and worked your way up um, what are the biggest challenges if you know a lot of a lot of our listeners um work for work for companies and are struggling to get up the ranks what's the biggest what's the biggest lesson you can you can teach them about how to get from being a purchasing intern to sitting in the box watching games eating shrimp and uh, drinking champagne how do you make that leap you know I, I i think it has a lot to do with working as hard as you can um and i think you know and not looking at the next opportunity but just just doing the best job that you possibly can where you're at and what happens is is if you become successful people recognize that you don't necessarily have to blow your own horn. You don't necessarily have to tell people how good you are. They will see it, recognize it. And, and, and for me, it's been just a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. You know, I've had success and then luck plays a little bit of part in that. And, uh, so working for Dactronics has been easy because I've always, I've I've never looked at trying to, to build an empire. I've never looked at trying to become a supervisor, but at a certain point in time, all of a sudden you get to start supervising a few people and you got to learn and adapt and adjust, um, because you're not only responsible for what you do, you're responsible for what other people are doing and you just work to do the best job you can at what you're doing. And, and if you are, if you're doing a very good job, people, people will recognize that and you'll get opportunities to, to take on bigger roles and, uh, and, and you're, you just kind of watch your career grow. Now, for many people, um, going to a game, it's a bit of a hassle, you know, the, the parking and slipping to the, to the stands, etc. And these days, it certainly isn't cheap to go to um, Major League Sports. So... How are NFL teams looking to win the battle about between getting people to the stadium instead of having these people just sitting at home, being couch potatoes, watching it on the sofa? 
Right. No, I, I, I think that's a great point. And I think the, I think these sporting teams, all sports, you know, are trying to, you know, trying to work hard to make sure that they can get people, you know, television has, has become such a big part of everybody's day-to-day life. And, sure. and, and these teams are selling, you know, the TV revenues are very significant for them. Um, but then also is sponsorships within the stadium and ticket sales. And so they really have to work hard to try and get these, to have something in the stadium that these fans can't get at home. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really what, what our products help them do is because you're not going to have a display the size of the Jacksonville Jaguars at your house. So the only way you're going to be able to see that is to, is to get up and get to the stadium. Now we know there's, there's hassles with, with, uh, you know, driving, you've got traffic, you know, you get to a parking lot yeah. and, and we've, we've kind of come up with a theme called street to the seats, trying to help our, help our partners at least be able to entertain their fans from the minute they leave their house to the, to the time they get to their seats in the stadium and trying to use electronics to help them with better wayfinding systems so that it's easier to, to navigate, to get into the parking lot. Yeah. Once they get in the parking lot, can you have displays in the parking lot that can actually help entertain them? So it's not, it's not a hassle. It's actually, yeah. they're having fun as they're being entertained. When you get in there, you know, the ticket lines, make sure it's very simple for them to get into a ticket line, get their tickets, um, get into the stadium. And, and then you got the concourses, which creates a whole nother area where, where how can you pe- pe- keep people entertained when they're in the concourses and then they finally get to their seats. And really, if you can, you know, we're, I think there's a lot of emphasis being placed on how to make that getting into the stadium much smoother, much better, because you want to encourage people to come to your event. And when you've got, you know, 15,000 to 80,000 people at a sporting event, that can give you to be a hassle. So you want to make it as simple and smooth as you possibly can. And, and you need to have, you know, electronics can play a big part in helping with that smooth transition into the stadium. I went to Staples Center the other day for an event and getting there was okay, despite the freeways in LA. Parking was okay. The biggest pain in the ass was going through security where they had lines a mile long where they're going through everybody's bag and checking everything. How do you overcome that problem? Well, I don't know if you do. I mean, that's the, that's the challenging part with, with security in, in this day and age, which is, which is very unfortunate. Um, you know, I always, you know, I, I fly a lot on an airplane, and I think you do the same. Yeah. And, you know, you, safety is probably the number one thing, um, and to making sure that it's a safe environment. And, but, but is there ways, and I think there's, there, people are pursuing ways of how do we at least entertain people a little bit while they're waiting in that line, right? Because yeah. otherwise... If it's, if it's too much of a hassle, they don't necessarily want to be there um, and, and make those lines as, as quick as you possibly can. And technology, you know, and technology that we don't produce, but technology, I think, will continue to get better to make those lines a lot faster, a lot quicker and make the, uh, you know, make, make the entering into the facility just that much better. But, you know, we've got displays that you could put up around there so you could be showing the pregame show. Um, at least give them something to look at or a game that's going around, going along somewhere in the country where you could actually put that game up to give them something to watch, give them something to at least preoccupy their time while they're waiting in a line. Yeah, that, that's that's actually a really good idea. They didn't have anything like that at, at Staples and just no. standing in this great long line while they search. But at least if you stay home, unless you've got a jealous wife, you're highly unlikely to get searched. Yep, that's true. So, <laughs> that makes going to the fridge a lot easier. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the Jaguars are installing the world's largest HD LED video scoreboards, one at each end zone. They are incredible. Now, each, from what I've read, each display's got about 22,000 square feet of active the active display area. Now, just for you listening at home, just to give you an idea how that how big that is, an average house is about 15,000 square feet. So these screens are one and a half times bigger than the average house. They are enormous. They look fantastic too, i got, I got to tell you. Jay, tell us about this project at Everbank Field. Um, is this the start of a wave across all the stadiums across America or... 
Well, I think it, you know, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars about three, four years ago kind of embarked on, on how do we entertain our fans? How do we, how do we make something unique and special um, and that you can only get when you come to the stadium? So we, we've been in some discussions with them, you know, for quite a long time just to figure out what that would be. And really their, their intent was to, to build a very, very large video display, one in each end zone, and they're actually 60 feet tall by 362 feet wide. So they, that will make them the world's largest video displays. And their whole intent was is they want to be able to not only have one super large image that they could put up there that, that might be a better image looking at the video display than you actually have from your seat, depending on where it's at, but, but also to be able to break this thing up into smaller pieces and have three full-size HD video displays that can be on one of these screens. So you can imagine, you know, you could have three different football games going on on each one of these displays. So you can watch what's going on around the league. Um, It's how do you create that, probably that largest sports bar in the world where you can get people into your stands, get them settled in, maybe beat the rush, maybe beat the security line, um, get them in earlier, entertain them while they're there with different games going on around the league. And then, uh, then when the action starts, have it all Jaguar focused and let the, you know, the Jacksonville team kind of have home field advantage with that type of display. So they're, they're very big displays. And if you think about it, 362 feet long is from goalpost to goalpost in a football stadium, not just the uh, yeah. end zone to end zone, but it extends into the goalpost. So that's the size of it. And, and what we're seeing is, is that, you know, we, you can never take your fans for granted. And so you have to keep investing in what you're doing, investing in their experience um, to, to keep them to be a loyal fan. And we're seeing there's a, there's a big push. And I think we talked a little bit about, you know, people wanting to sit home watching a game on the television set versus getting up and actually going out to the, to the stadium or ballpark or the arena. Uh-huh. And I think, I think you're seeing a trend of how do we entertain these people and how do we give them an experience that they cannot get at home. So this, so this fall we're putting in uh, Jacksonville is going to have the world's largest one, um, but we're also doing installations at the Carolina Panthers, the Cleveland Browns, um, San Francisco 49ers have built a new football stadium, yep. so we've got the products going in there. The uh, Arizona Cardinals are adding a bigger display to one of their end zones to create that great fan experience. Um, we're also seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers, which has traditionally had just one video dis- display in the stadium, is now adding a second one. So there's a lot of there's a lot of teams that are maybe not going to the largest in the world size, but they're going super large in comparison to what they had in there before. And it's all about, you know, take no one for granted um, and, and make sure that your fans have a great experience and make sure that they are seeing things in the stadium that they can't see at home. What's the, um, what's the quality of the screen like, um, say, in the middle of the day with bright sunlight? Well, that's a, I mean, that, that's a great question. And that's, uh, so, so in, in, in the world that I live in, we speak in, in bright, brightness of a display is what's called nits. And so these displays, uh, the Daxronics product is capable of 9,000 nits. So if you go back, if you go back even, uh, six, seven years ago, technology was able to do about 5,000 to 6,000 nits. Okay. So we're, you know, we're 30 to 50% brighter. And because that sunlight, when it hits that, that peak of the day, can be very bright. And so we've designed and manufactured our products to be able to compete well with the sunlight. So regardless if it's day or night, the image coming off of that display will look fantastic and that, uh, that you'll get a great experience with those displays during those conditions. Yeah, that that's great. I was I was at an event um, not that long ago with a politician who was opening, and it was a, actually a sports event. And he brought along his speech on uh, an iPad, okay. and of course he put the iPad on the lectern and was going to read it. But <laughs> have you ever tried to read an iPad anywhere near the sunlight? <laughs> so <laughs> not possible. No. no, not possible. So he had to add ad lib it. And it was dreadful. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And, 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 and there's a lot of sporting events played in the day, played in the afternoon. There are, yeah. And, um, and you've got to make sure the right, you've got the right product in there that can compete with the sunlight well. Um, so you make sure you, you, you have a predictable outcome of, of your event. Right. What's the cost of these screens? 
Oh, they, uh, you know, these projects we're doing range anywhere from, anywhere from, you know, well, actually from smaller installations, you can probably get a video board in for two, three hundred thousand right. dollars. And there are installations that uh, are well up to fifty million dollars. So it just depends on how much technology you buy. And it's not just video displays. So these facilities that I listed off, you know, they're putting in large video displays, but there's also these LED fascia products, which right. you'll see on the sidelines that they use a lot for advertising and crowd prompts and, and displaying displaying game time, game score. So these these types of facilities, you know, if you're doing an NFL football stadium, it's probably in the 10 to $20 million range, um, or any stadium is probably in that 10 to $20 million range. And and our product is, is, is one of the most visible things that you have within a stadium other than the actual event going on itself. And so, so people are, people are investing in that technology to help entertain their fans and have, and create a great experience for their fans when they come in. So has the technology changed to allow such enormous screens? How, what's been the change in the technology? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. When I, when I first, uh, came back to Dactronics in 1997, um, LED technology was kind of in its earlier years yeah. and, and, and LED technology. So, so we did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if, if you can imagine each one of the lighting points on that display had about 10 LEDs right. and today that same lighting point has three. So technology wow. has advanced significantly. So you are putting less LEDs in, but you're getting a brighter light output than what you've ever had in the past, which which the technology is going going along very fast. The other thing that that is that has changed is we've gone from standard definition to high definition, and there's a couple standards within the high definition range, and it's amazing even on your home television when you go from standard definition to high definition, the improvement of the image. There's just more deep. There's more detail to every picture and every image, and that's all being being brought from the television market. And now it's being done in the in the stadium video display technology. And that that technology, you know, is is similar to the, what you've got at home. You can use uh, you can bring in an H, uh, high definition signal and broadcast that out to the display, so you can get just the the image quality and the detail that you can get is is really phenomenal. What what can we expect to get in the future? Are we, are we heading for 3D screens, or where do we go from from here? Well, that's a that's a really good question, and uh, and and one of the one of the things that's being talked about today is something called 4K, and 4K yep. is really two times two times high definition, two times high definition. So so you're going twice as many twice as many pixels tall by twice as many pixel wide. Some of that has, uh, there's some constraints with that because right now the infrastructure for the television market to receive, so to my house, to receive 4K in my house, I don't have the infrastructure coming into my house from, you know, I, you need fiber coming into your house to yeah. be able to probably yeah. get that. So that, you know, that's going to be a ways off, but I do see that that is probably the next generation. And you're starting to see TV sets that have it, but there's not a lot of content that can be played yeah. on TV sets because the production equipment is, is right now in, in the in the high definition stage instead of the 4K stage. It'll but I think you'll see some of that. Yeah. And in our industry, what we're, what we're still seeing is <clears throat> is people are going with bigger displays, because they're more impactful. Um, so they're, you know, even our the arena projects that we do, they're putting in. You know, here's a prime example: the uh, the the Pepsi Center out in Denver, home of the Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Nuggets, yep. put in a video board, and they're big. They're uh, they're 27 feet tall by 48 feet tall. And if I go back 10 years ago, that's what NFL football stadiums were putting in for size of displays was 27 feet tall by 48 feet wide. And so you're seeing going bigger and and being more impactful and and you know there's 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 a there's a point where you want to be impactful on the event but you don't want to take away from the action that's going on on the court or the playing surface or the field and so you want to be a little bit you know respectful of the game um, but you want to make sure you can you can have the technology that can be entertaining to the fans have you done any studies as to how many people actually watch the screen and how many people actually watch the field well, we haven't uh, we haven't done many studies on that, but but when we go to sporting events, 
it, it has a lot to do with your seating location. And so if you are close enough to the, to the action, you're watching the, you're watching it there. If you're sitting up, a, you know, sitting up high, if you're sitting in a, maybe the top row of a stadium or arena, you may be watching the video displays even more just from the standpoint of where you're sitting and you might have a better view and the video displays make it larger than life. And so you get, you, you get a great view and from whatever seat that you're in, um, you know, we still, we still believe that the game is the reason why people are getting there. We really want to use our video displays to help complement it, but you can watch replays. And I think you watch people will watch the, watch the field and then they will immediately turn and expect to see a replay of that play that they just saw. So they might get it from a different angle. Um, they might yeah. not have quite seen what happened. So they want to see it again. And then our technology is used to show them the play again and show them what happened and how they, how they get the extra yards or, or what happened what on that is, play. Yeah. So they, better understanding of the game so essentially if you're jack nicholson you get to watch the game and if you're one of the average plebs you get to uh, watch the screen that's um, <laughs> yeah i think that that might that might be pretty close that's uh I was just... and and, and he, yeah even in that case that we're working on a number of facilities that put a, a display below the display in an arena right so that those those seats that are that are courtside can actually you know it's, it's hard to bend your neck that far up just to, to look at a replay. Yeah, you don't and want to put so, yourself so we've out. added some displays. We've added some displays on the bottom of like a center hung in a basketball arena that are that are a lot easier for that for that first few rows to be able to see a video display. And they're very high priced seats. So you yeah, want to sure. make sure that that group of people's experience is as good as it possibly can be. Of course the other thing that the um, Jacksonville Jaguars could do um, to enhance their um, uh, supporters um whatever it is, um, enjoyment of the game, is probably to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there are some things that we can't control. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we can help with entertaining them once they're there, but that's, uh, that's, that's out of our jurisdiction on yeah. helping them figure out how to win. Um, is bigger better, do you think? Apart from the sheer size of it, is it... Is it is it the I, size you know, that I, enhances the the um, appeal of it, or is it just the fact that it's there? The quality is so good. I, I I think it's a I think it's a combination of both. I think uh, you know we uh, you know we installed a product the same technology at the Denver Broncos, and and I've seen the impact that that has had on that stadium. Yeah. So this one is going to be probably twice as long, and it's, but it's it's a similar similar technology, but it's just going to be bigger. And so, so the, the, the quality of the, the product is fantastic and just the overall size is going to, is going to leave an impression and, and you're going to, you're going to walk away from there going, wow, did you see that? And, and I think that's, that's what, you know, that's what teams are looking for is the wow factor. You know, you can, you can control the, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can help work on making parking better, ticket lines shorter, even security lines shorter. Um, you can put on a great show with your video displays, and then the key is is if you've got a winning team, that solves a lot of problems. Yeah, sure if you don't does. have a winning team, you got to keep you, you know you want to keep your fans working. coming back. Yeah, got to keep working, keep your fans coming back, and that's the one thing that's harder to control is is the wins and losses that happen on the on the on the football field. But I think it it all complements each other. So sure. so you you're trying to get loyal fans to stick with you. And, and stay for the long term so that you can have those winning years. And, uh, and in the tough years, they stay, stand by you for the long term. That, I also read, I think, that um, you're putting in displays of this nature, not this size, but in um, high school um, yes. arenas. How, do, how does a high school afford this sort of technology? Well, I think, uh, you know, high schools, are, they're, they're public-funded entities, but a lot of these high schools have booster clubs sure. and booster clubs have, have an affinity for the program and they're willing to spend money 
and they, you know, and there are certain there are certain states that football is king in the high school markets. Yeah, and so so they want to try and you know have the best experience for their for their players. They want to have the best experience for you know some you know they're not supposed to be recruiting in high school, but I think there's some of that that goes on. So you want to try and create the best facilities you can, and you want to be able to showcase showcase your players and sometimes it's the it's the kids of uh the the donors that are that are paying for it and a lot of parents will do a lot of things for their kids and so it's this it's this fundraising side that the booster club can do they can also sell advertising sure and and that allows them to be able to put up a video display and and to be quite honest you know you, you go to a sporting event today you expect to see a replay right you, yeah, know, you, you, do. you missed yeah. the play or you saw the play and you didn't quite understand what's going on so you want to see a replay and so we're starting to see high schools putting in more and more video displays and I think the, the technology the great thing is the technology has improved it's gotten a lot better but it's also gotten less expensive so it's not just the elite of the elite can afford a video display it's a lot more different people that now can 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 get into the technology and, and put on a game day experience you know at a high school similar to what's at the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah um- Three hundred thousand to fifty million—that's really just chicken shit, isn't it? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, oh yeah. So how oh, big yeah. a television set have you got in your right? house? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know this country, you know, the, you know this country places a lot of emphasis in sports. You yeah, know, I think absolutely. You have a bad day. You have a bad day on the, at the job, and you know, part of your release is to be able to go to a sporting event. So there's a you know, we, we place a lot of emphasis on sports. It's it's our you know national pride, yep. and so to invest in it and to, to buy the tickets and and go see your favorite team, whether they're big or small or whatever, they're still your favorite team, and and you're willing to help support that that program to get better, and uh, and have all the amenities that you want them to have. So so there's a lot of emphasis in this country on sport, and 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 we're fortunate that the niche that we serve is is benefits from that. Jay Parker, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. That was fun. I look look forward to being invited along to one of these um, games sometime soon. Now, if you'd like to know more about Jay or Dactronics, you can go to Dactronics, D-A-K-T-R-O-N-I-C-S dot com. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with you after this short break. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard straight-talking, absolutely no-bullshit business radio show brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Jay's a great guy, isn't he? What a what a fantastic job putting in putting in um, screens that are one and a half times bigger than the average house. Wow, I need one of those at home. That would make, and then I'd l- never leave the house. I'd watch every game from home. Um, I'm a diabetic, so this piece of news this week, although it's not real news because I'd heard about it about a year ago. In fact, spoken about it on the program about a year ago. Um, it's of great interest to me being a diabetic. Uh, Google's joining up with Novartis to build its smart contact lens. The lens is their breakthrough in diabetes management, allowing diabetics like myself to monitor blood sugar levels without sticking that thing in your finger every morning and, and measuring it. Um, 
Novartis announced this week that its eye care division, Alcon, will license Google's smart contact lens technology, creating a tool to monitor diabetic blood sugar levels through your tear samples. It reads your tear samples every tenth of a second, and then it has LED lights at the bottom of the lens which flash when your blood sugar levels are um, out of sync. So Alcon's going to collaborate with Google's secretive lab for major technological advances, which also designed Google Glass, which is also being used very extensively in the medical profession. So the, t- the two will join forces, develop contact lenses that will wirelessly connect to mobile devices to report to report blood sugar levels in real time. Now, the technology may also provide accommodative vision correction for those with impaired eyesight. Now, that's fantastic. And the relationship between the medical juggernaut and the tech powerhouse will benefit both companies by allowing Google to merge biology with its miniature electronic efforts and Novartis to leverage technology to manage disease. Now, last week I talked for a minute about um, the new bots that um, Google can put into your bloodstream that are the size of a blood cell that go through your bloodstream and as it goes under your wrist, it sends information to your watch which tells the watch (laughs) um, whether there's signs of cancer or other diseases. Then your watch then alerts your phone and then alerts your doctor. So this um, chip just continually moves around your bloodstream and every time it goes beneath your watch, it reports in and hopefully will prevent, well, won't prevent disease, but it'll identify disease very early and help you manage it. I think that's in, that's incredible, this um, um, miniature technology is really extraordinary. In other news, Facebook launched a new buy button. So on your iPhone, whatever, there's a little button and it just says buy. And so you, whatever you look at, you're looking at a, at a product of some sort and you want to buy it, you simply push buy and you can buy the product directly from a business without ever getting off Facebook. Now, that's pretty cool too, I reckon. Um, So um, it's testing the product now with businesses in the United States, and it will be out in the marketplace in the not-too-distant future. And the buy button is just one of a number of e-commerce initiatives that um, Facebook is working on. So the incredible thing is that... um, it's the Facebooks and the Googles and people like that that are really changing the way we do business and the way we live and, and medical care. And it's, it's quite extraordinary that these new companies that, after all, are only – some of them are just a decade old or less – are doing such extraordinary things. Now, this buy button, I saw it during the week for the first time. It is brilliant. And uh, they've designed it with privacy in mind. They've taken steps to help make the payment experience really safe and really secure. Now, none of the credit or debit card information people share with Facebook, even when they complete a transaction, will be shared with other advertisers. And people can select whether or not they'd like to save payment information for future purchases. So um, it's all extremely safe so I think that's another extraordinary um, aspect of this new technology um, I was going to go into the um, the email segment which is enormously popular um, because um, irrespective of where you are in the world and no matter what business you're in and no matter how big your business is um, we all face the same challenges. You know, I can be giving a presentation here in Cannes or you could be in Los Angeles or you can be in Vietnam. It doesn't matter. You've got the same issues. 
but next week I will um, go into the email I was going to read this week from a guy in Reseda in Los Angeles. But I've run out of time, so you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my news newsletter. My new newsletter will be out in about a week. Email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want me to speak about. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show, coming to you from the Compass um, Conference in Cairns, beautiful tropical paradise. And if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.